Hello and welcome to Keyframes in Betweens, a mini podcast about anime. I'm your host, Ben Halliburton, and with me today is Duncan. Hey there. And Jeff. Yellow. Today we are doing a short episode on a OVA that's kind of been floating around in the background of Keyframes, um, at least on the production side for years, which is the 1989 OVA War in the Pocket. Uh, this is kind of a coda story to the one year war that's covered uh, by the original Mobile Suit Gundam 79. It is uh, based on Yoshiki Tomino's work, but does not feature him in any creative capacity as far as I can tell. Uh, it is uh, based on a scenario by Yuki Kiyosuke, an author, uh, directed by Takayama Fumihiko, and the script and screenplay are written by Hiroyuki Yamaga, um, who is fresh off of uh, all the Gainax nonsense, especially Wings of Hanami's uh, two years earlier. Uh, This OVA is six episodes. It aired from uh, late March to late August 1989, as I said. And yeah, when we used to have a more open rotation of hosts... This was regularly suggested by one of them, who I don't think ever ended up appearing on the podcast. But if you're listening, hello. Uh, As a good sort of uh, spotlight anime back when we were doing spotlight animes. And I watched it at the time to to vet it for that purpose. And it seemed fine, although it was at the time the only Gundam thing I was even remotely aware of. So it's nice to come back knowing about the events of the One Year War and just the way that the Gundam world works. So yeah, at the time, I liked it. It is a story, to boil it down into only a few sentences, it's a story about a young boy who gets caught up in a Xeon sabotage mission of a secret, um, what are they called? The Federation? Yeah, a secret, a secret <laughs> yeah. Federation base Se- developing a Gundam yes. in a otherwise neutral space colony. Yes, and kind of just dealing with everyone, and by that I do mean everyone's extreme naivete about what war actually is, and kind of trying to do a home front look, which as I understand it, the original Gundam, um, being largely a toy commercial, did not cover often. I mean, I know that there's some episodes where Amaro goes home and like meets his mother or something, Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah... This time around, I liked it a lot because, as I said, I know the politics. I really enjoyed how the anti-war stuff, which is such a strong pillar of my favorite Gundam, he says, having watched three Gundams. <laughs> uh, but Turne Gundam is very much about how these multiplicity of purposes um, aren't enough to, to stop war, that war has its own energy to it, and even multiple good goodwilled people trying to stop death and destruction and war from spreading can't do enough. You can pile it a Gundam, you can take pictures for the newspaper, you can cook bread and give it to both sides. That won't work. And I think that uh, War in the Pocket especially has an even darker outlook where every single character fails to influence events whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and... and <laughs> the 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 ships that are coming to nuke the colony in the final hours of of the crisis get blown up just in an unrelated space battle and so everyone literally died for nothing and nothing was changed <laughs> by anyone by anyone's efforts and that's that's a rough watch i guess especially if you're probably coming from from the original gundam 10 years before but i did think it was a really good message and i think we'll talk about it more as we yeah. go on because this show doesn't have much else besides critiques of immaturity and warmongering. So 
Jeff, I'm excited to hear what you think about it since you have actually watched the the proper Gundams <laughs> that that this show is relentlessly referencing. Yeah, um, you know, being a, a fake Gundam fan, this is indeed the first time that I've actually seen this, despite having watched the other ones and being a big booster of them. Uh, I really enjoyed. Like, I'm also you know on the record saying that my favorite episodes of Gundam are the earlier ones, which are smaller scale, a bit slower, with the stakes a little bit more realistic which this leans all the way into i also really mm-hmm. enjoy the general style like i i like how the space colonies <laughs> are basically very similar to the girls and panzer uh school <laughs> ships where you just have a big like mechanical construct with a slice of like small town Japan just implanted on top of it with no real explanation as to like how you would ever do that like you know, by all accounts, it seems like it just is like a normal countryside with like lifestyle, you know, like, you know, animals and trees. And it's big enough that you can shoot down a Zaku and it will yeah. <laughs> be like completely off the radar for weeks. <laughs> I, I, I've completely forgotten about about how like they're like, how are we going to repair the gun, the your your Zaku? And he's like, oh, there's like dozens of, of blown up mobile suits around here. Mm-hmm. I can I can scavenge from all of them. And I'm like, wow. I guess I guess like 1989 was a more peaceful time when like you wouldn't imagine like the government or the security state all over every single every single blown up robot, <laughs> especially if a guy and a kid can rebuild one from the various parts and then cause another cause the third incident in their colony in like a week yeah. of uh, of hostile forces attacking this neutral breakaway Earth Republic, uh, the Raya Republic. And this like location being like neutral territory technically, and the two sides sort of doing like a war in a you know in a third location has like pocket. you know yeah you know, like it has like a very like you know it, we're growing up in post war Japan probably has a lot of that you know there's lots of wreckage of other people's wars laying around I mean it's not technically other people's wars but you know other people's is not yours personally so. yeah. And but also, you know, you know, echoes of that now where you have, you know, two superpowers sort of using your backyard as a battlefield, you know, feels especially relevant these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so especially since like the allegiances of like the, the, the kids especially are not set in stone by this point. And it's also really interesting how that sort of evolves throughout the series. Yeah, I do especially like how. There's a certain amount of interfering in the affairs of neutral powers that I think the the sh- the show kind of tempts us to go along. Of like, yes, the Federation has a hidden base there. Yes, uh, the Zeon are sending strike forces to try to find it. But both had this kind of hands-off nature. And then when the bad guy, whose name is literally Lieutenant Colonel Killing, yeah, um, <laughs> because you don't have to have Tomino to make it unsu- un- unsubtle. Mm. But uh, but when he is like. He's like, I'm gonna nuke. I'm gonna nuke that station, and they're like, "What? That breaks the treaty." And he's like, "They didn't sign that treaty." And it's like, "Yeah, but you did." And also, they didn't exist when the treaty was signed. So it's like <laughs> such a dumb technicality. But then you have to ask yourself, like, why is that? Like this, like disgusting manipulation of of technicalities rather than just the hidden base that they're not admitting to, or this or that. Mm-hmm. It is. It is funny how the point, points at which it intersects the the broader war and having characters be like, yeah, we're losing the war. There's not really any point to this mission, but we're going to do it anyway because 
because everyone's kids playing war, I guess, is again the, the message. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that we start with what could have been like the fi first five minutes of any Gundam episode where you just get a, a strike team going into a, a base and uh, uh, Zaku's fa fighting uh, the, no, no, the, the Cyclopses. The, I'm getting my gun Gundam mixed up. I would have been uh, <laughs> hunted down by uh, uh, true fans. But yeah. Um, where you've got these mechs fighting amongst this this sort of covert base and the space shuttle blasts up into orbit and straight from that we cut to suburban scenes like just people walking along streets watching their gardens etc and it, it's like it sets itself out saying okay we are still part of the Gundam universe but we have a very different preoccupation of what matters it's not the secret mission which is the key thing that's kind of just what provides inertia what we're actually interested mm -hmm. in are the the people and the way they sort of all get sucked into this because this is like one of those those plots where everything is has just this massive sense of inertia to it where mm -hmm. after the moment that um al takes the picture of the Gundam being unloaded, everything just unfolds from there. Yeah, and at the same time, those first few episodes seem incredibly slow-paced because it's it's running on kid time, kind of, where like you have to wait for other people and you have to do what they say. And Al, I just said that like no one affects any part of the plot after after these inciting incidents, but Al does like reclaim himself an agency, granted an agency that like all the adults are horrified by when he's crawling around in ducks inside a secret military base. And then he's like starting, he's like when they're at, picking up the weapons to refit the Zaku near the end. And he like goes up to their Jeep and is just smashing the shit out of it with a pipe, pretending to be distraught about his father. And I'm like, Al is very annoying for a lot of the movie or a lot of the, a lot of the OVA. But, but when he does like actually take action, um, you can see that like, this is why you would want to, indoctrinate kids to think that war is great because it makes it makes al brave when he's really like a dumbass kid who's who is horrified to the point of catatonia the moment he realizes like the true effect of his actions mm -hmm. um he's constantly asking the adults around him to like tell him that the stakes aren't real and they do tell him that um and maybe that's because they're trying to hide it from a kid maybe it's because they don't quite believe it them themselves um until like until Bernie explodes to the point where they have to like wash him out of the cockpit. It's rough. <laughs> yeah. Uh. yeah. Yeah. There's definitely moments where, you know, Bernie, the covert Xeon commando who befriends Al, mm -hmm. he, he tells him, you know, he, he remarks after they've successfully infiltrated the, the Federation base, like, you know, you have no concept of danger, do you? You have no, like, you have no inkling that anything you do could ever possibly fail. And he's like, no, of course not. Why would I worry about that? <laughs> Whereas we have the two adults. Literally says like, daishobu, daishobu, daishobu. It's like, what he's, he's like, oh, it's not going to be okay. Yeah. But yeah, sorry, go ahead. Uh, whereas like, like Bernie and Chris both have a very, uh, like Chris being his next door neighbor slash secret Gundam test pilot who both have Slash former babysitter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You kind of have to like forgive the show for it's like monstrous coincidences, allowing things to happen. <laughs> and I'm, I mostly am okay with that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 
but yeah, like they both have, you know, Bernie has to sort of, he needs to figure out how he's going to react to, you know, his mission mo- mostly being a failure, knowing that the colony is, you know, as far as he knows, about to be destroyed. Now, is he going to run or is he going to try and do something about it, even though he knows he's almost certainly going to fail? And that is like the the big hinge of like, you know, how a kid views a war versus how adults fight. And that also carries over pretty seamlessly from Gundam 79, which was a big theme there. I think mm-hmm. it's, it's worth saying that all the rest of um, Bernie's unit see him as a kid. Like, mm-hmm. he may be an adult to um, Al, but to his unit, they all see him as like this completely green, inexperienced pilot who th- they are frequently just trying to put out of danger. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, they're demeaning him, <laughs> but at the same time, they're deliberately giving him things where he's not going to get in trouble. He's not going to get shot. They know that when it comes to the end of their mission, like there's a good chance some of them might might not make it out. Like at the start of the the show, Andy is killed. <laughs> no relation. Yeah, we get we get someone <sighs> collapsing down and going no, and like that, as cheesy as that moment was, that was definitely establishing this is a, that this unit has, has sees him very much as like we don't want to let that happen again. And that, there's this scene where they're si- sitting him down and sort of. He's like, oh, can I do this and that? They say, no, you you just just do this odd job and that. And then it cuts from from that scene to Al being sort of interviewed by a, a teacher about his bad grades, and you, you get the, the feeling like that, that this, they want to make that equivalent. That he's like, they they see him as as this kid who they have to lecture and just make sure he's he's on the straight and narrow. Yeah, yeah. It, and it's interesting that the one who's giving him the most shit about being a rookie is Ramirez. And then when, which is the guy who's like the least, the second least experienced one, although obviously like wildly, anybody who like ties like a bandana around their head when they're about to go into war, especially in the in the late 80s, is definitely <laughs> meant to be seen as like kind of a weathered soldier um but he's the one who's like mm-hmm. who gives who gives bernie the most shit about being a rookie and he gets smoked like five minutes into that mission he's just he gets completely blasted away trying to like go and throw a bomb <laughs> in the and so just it's i do like and i didn't see this the first time i thought it was just a simple comparison between um between al and bernie um who are both treated as kids by their by like the power structures around them but it's really everybody has no idea what they're getting into and i really do yeah. like the one scene um, between the captain and is it Charlie or Che? They're like, they're like fixer guy yeah. on the inside. Um, mm-hmm. And the captain just admits he's like he's like we've been set up to fail. Uh, we're not even give we're not even given a way out. We're doomed. And like yet it never occurs to him to walk away from this. Like Bernie briefly tries to do this this ex- expectation to do something even if it's manifestly futile uh, is is very much a part of of how the show talks about war and the fixer guy is like hey this is a nice colony <laughs> you don't you don't have to like this is a nice place and and he says it again like if anyone ever asks him how he feels about the the events of this of this OVA he's like this is a really nice colony but yet but yes again like the the sense of inevitability and the sense of like adults have taken it out of your hands um and like there's just some there's just some insane colonel in a different part of the solar system. And he is the only person who can stop this from happening. And your choices are to play your part and maybe save some lives. Um, but, 
probably die or to run away and to live with that. And when Bernie's in, in the like spaceport, um, hearing someone who looks remarkably like Chris to the point that like they should have given her more than freckles. <laughs> yeah, he thinks it. But that's the part of the point. You're right, Jeff. Um, but like, here's her just like this girl just like having a meltdown about having to like leave something that she thinks that she's that she's still involved in. And he, he turns around and he I mean, Bernie shows remarkable bravery, remarkable bravery. When you see him in the video and he like he's going to record a video where he tells a little kid who's been his best friend for like a week that like, yeah, I'm dead now. Um, but here's what you can do to stop it if I failed. And yet the bravery doesn't accomplish anything. It's it's really dark. Um, I'm not surprised that mm. that uh, Yamaga wrote this after Hanami's, which is also a very dark perspective of progress where like progress is achieved through violence and greed happening to accidentally make something good is I think one of the theses of of Hanami's. And here I think you see it even more that like it's a war in the pocket. Like even if even if your pocket blows up, like the rest of you is fine. You may not even notice that you got a hole in your pocket or that it ripped away or that things fell out from it. And yeah, a thousand people dead because of a a secret weapon that probably won't even get to see combat is yeah, I, I don't know. I found it I found it a lot better this time. Maybe I'm just more in the mood for for peaceable stuff right now, given the circumstances. Yeah. You made a good point there in that the Gundam that the prototype they're all fighting over never appears again in any of the, the rest of the franchise. This is all it does. It shows up in this. It doesn't progress from this at all. It, it just exists for this. And then mm-hmm. it is pointless. It, it, it's there is with anything with Gundam, this tension between this is a toy advert and this is an anti-war thing and kids like toys because they can play war and like it's such an obvious and upfront thing <laughs> yeah it feels like they had to make this at some time just for for any time someone says well you're you're selling war to kids they go you just point to war in the pocket go watch that okay we're, we're covered here <laughs> here's our insurance uh See, we do have a moral conscience. All good. All good. We move on. I mean, I I don't think it was anything nearly I that know. cynical because <laughs> even even in '79, like Tomino absolutely believes that he is doing pedagogy on what like good masculinity is, specifically masculinity. It is like fighting for what's right, doing what you believe in, and having the the, the bravery to do that. Like even if that means running away. Um, you know, they they explain that like you know, run, you know, like the the most important thing is to you know you, you don't want to live in a world without the people you love, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sometimes that means t- to stay and fight for uh, what you believe in, or that means to run so that you don't cause pain to the people you care about in a useless fight. And that Christine now Christina says you know as much. And the reason that Bernie decides to come back is not because of any, you know, patriotic duty or anything like that. It's just, you know, he cares about these people. He cares about this place yeah. and he couldn't live with himself running away. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's and it's funny because we see him like made fun of as as the, the child among the adults. And but he does have one of the more mature realizations there. Uh, granted, it's halfway through his mm-hmm. escape plan being executed, but. But yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm not. I'm not surprised because Tomino did uh, Idion uh, too, and that also is just like the only thing that war accomplishes is that people are dead. And like, you may think it's good to that some people are dead and some people are not dead, uh, but that's not. It's this isn't a razor. It's a it's a blunt instrument, and 
the end of Ideon, spoilers, if you're ever going to watch Space Runaway Ideon, which I would wave you off of, although I enjoyed my time with it. Um, every single person in the show dies. Like, it literally ends with the with the extinction of sentient life, and it's all their souls are flowing to another part of the galaxy to try again. And maybe this time we won't start a stupid war that will kill everybody. So, so it's definitely something that's been on Tomino's mind since the beginning, but I think this is a much more elegant mm. version of it by making it so personal and just so about these like five or six people who are all trying to influence events that are so much bigger than them. And even going back to the veteran uh, commandos in the team, you get the sense that they're also not just brainwashed, like super criminal zombies who <laughs> get off on killing, though they is they they're they're not not that like Misha, the hard drinking big guy, you know, Garcia, like they they're be they're definitely like in their element in combat. Mm -hmm. So like they don't really care about the damage they're doing, but they're doing it for their commander. They're doing it for each other. And like like uh, Duncan was saying, like, you know, they want to protect Bernie as much as they want to keep him out of their way. And for them, you know, they're much further down the sort of like the meat grinder of war. And they've, you know, they've they've seen their friends die. You know, for, for them, it's personal in a way like, like they, you know, Andy dies attempting to prevent this Gundam from making it into space. And so, you know, you get the sense that this mission for them is also for him more than it is for anything else. Mm -hmm. And like that, that sort of through line of, you know, war making you into this through your traumas and it not being just you know we're doing this for flag we're doing this for king and country because you see invariably sort of explicitly with zeon where you have killing who is you know he is one of the he is kind of like it's kind of like in rogue one like star wars rogue one where you like get a glimpse of uh Darth Vader <laughs> killing is in sort of like a similar thing, which, you know, he has the very obvious name. He, you know, he is the much more cartoonish villain. And also with the Federation, you know, they know that they're what they're doing is putting this colony in danger, but it's, you know, for their own war effort. That is, you know, the real things that drive these wars and not, you know, the ideological conviction of the underlings. It's mostly, you know, they're doing it for each other and they're doing it because they, they can't think of what else would be a better thing to do at this time. Yeah, just a real quick point. Uh, I do know that like Girin Zabi, according to the wiki, and I, it seems like it may, might come from the uh, the manga version or something. It does seem like killing is apparently just like a hardline believer in like Girin Zabi's eugenicist fascist Nazi, yeah. Nazi program. It's just it's just a, a true believer who can never be like persuaded or something. He's just just a force of destruction um, and the kind of like how these people bubble up to the top in war because it seems like they're useful. And the general just being like, hey, you can't counterman my orders. And he's just like, it's just there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the, I'm the general gun, now. <laughs> it is it is like it, it kind of I mean, just the helplessness on every single level and just some some Nazi asshole halfway across the galaxy is going to be like, yeah, we should nuke them. And that's it. That's that's the ball put in motion. Mm. I, I, I like how we bookend it with like the the kids in in school like how we the, that first classroom where war is something that is a long way away from them it's something which your knowledge is a point of sort of honor and one-upmanship and where a peripheral connection mm -hmm. even the the like it's like it's like the equivalent of my 
my uncle's in Nintendo. It's my uncle's, I've, I've got my uncle's uh, service badge. Where those things are almost um, social currency and they, how these little disputes break break out after a girl questions the uh, <laughs> authenticity of this because that if you if, if what they're posturing is um is proven true then they they have no then they are just kids and they don't want to admit they're kids and at the end and we have this sort of assembly outside the school's rubble almost when the the war's over they they've been told okay okay kids the war's over don't worry everything will be okay now and al starts crying like a bad show would have him being like so happy that the war's over and and everything yeah. but he's crying because of the futility of everything that's happened in the the previous six episodes it's the, the war's over and these people died for nothing and yeah that's his own parents recognize that he's that he's grown up a bunch in the past few days and like suddenly mm-hmm. become really mature they do they do seem to realize that like and he and he does it's a very mature realization that like peace means just means that everyone died for nothing <laughs> and that's <laughs> it's the bittersweet the bittersweet nature of peace because of how futile war is and I really liked his yeah. friends saying, you know, don't worry, Al, there will be another war because they haven't had this same traumatic experience for them. It was just an exciting thing that happened and blew their school up, which they thought was pretty cool. That was a bit over the top for me. But I mean, I remember that being one of the more moving parts the first time I watched it. And now I'm like, it feels like almost a commentary on Gundam as a franchise. Like, don't worry, <laughs> there will also be there will always be a new war. It'll be bigger and better and we'll have a bigger budget and better animators and maybe a few more <laughs> famous voice actors can come participate. But his friends in general are just like, when they find the shells, I did that when I was like a little war nut at age like seven or eight. Mm-hmm. I like, like finding like 22 shells in the woods was exciting because it's like someone fired a gun there and just like, it's just the, the bare, the bare act of a gun operating with none of the like real world implications of what happened. Cause like if you find a shell, mm-hmm. you know that someone tried to kill something there. Um, hopefully not someone if I'm looking, if I'm finding shells in the Creek, but uh, who can say? Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I, I like, I, I would go to a, I would go to air force, uh, like not air force, like but air shows where they mm-hmm. would fire like stuff. And you could like, you could like scan the field afterwards and you could find uh 30 or 50 caliber shells there and like those are amazing and cool and they're like you can smell you can still smell the gunpowder in them is what they tell him and he's like oh no i'm mm-hmm. fine <laughs> well it's really the, the child aspect is is one of the things i think it does really well but um but i yeah yeah but i think overall yeah i i i one of my earliest memories was going to an, an air show for a vulcan bomber uh flyover and for for those of you who don't know your uh, sort of modern era jet airplanes, a Vulcan bomber is basically this giant V-wing with like four massive afterburners on it. And it is just this design which was entirely brute force engineering. And it was one of the loudest things I have ever heard. It came over there for, and just that ev- the cars shook and everything and it was insane and as a kid wow that just blew my mind like the, the just the the machinery and the the power of it and first battle in this where al and the other kids are on top of the school and they're saying they're, they're looking at, at explosions in the distance and they're going it's like fireworks it still is <laughs> still doesn't sink it in because they're not seeing the bodies and yeah. it's it's yeah, the no. bodies are the big are the big thing. Yeah, and it's to its credit, like 
it's very easy to make kid characters annoying. And I think Al's naivete and how much attention the show's writing and directing pays to Al's naivete and just utter obliviousness. Like you said, Jeff, with the whole like, it's, it'll, it'll be fine. Like everything will work out. Mm-hmm. Like it makes Al very uncomfortable as the character you're mostly spending your time with for the ride here. But at the same time, it's very sympathetic because we, we do get to just watch his childhood get destroyed. <laughs> We like we we leave him crying, basically. And and yeah, it's it's another casualty of war. And so it kind of makes you feel bad for having been so annoyed with him, because at least even when when he was like at the end of the first episode, the extremely like kind of weird tone thing of him like parodying, saying yes, mom over and over while he's like shooting the hospital and the school and the fire station in his video Mm. game, like little, Mm -hmm. little teenage edgelord. He was happier then. Um, and he's like, he's learned a powerful, valuable lesson, but it's at the cost of, I don't know, like childhood, his entire personality almost. Yes. <laughs> it's, I don't know. I, I do. I do like it. It makes me want to watch Gundam, which I, I know is probably a, a poison, a poison pill, but, yeah. um, maybe I can talk Jeff into watching turn a Gundam by the end of this. You're busy watching school days now though. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I had, um, yeah, I, I, I bought turn a at the same time that i bought this which was like multiple years ago Mm -hmm. now so it's sitting on my uh shelf leering (laughs) at me so i will probably (laughs) pull it down and start watching it that one's after i finish school that one is interesting of course because the the mismatch of technology is so such an important part of like of the question of peace like some people do not have the resources to defend themselves it's not a a fight between equals like it is in gundam 79 but i do think that it's it's the same like anti-war project Jeff, do you think there's sort of some deliberate design mirroring going on with Bernie and Char? Like this this blonde constantly wearing reds and jackets and stuff and like and how he and I, I think like obviously the, the, the core show has um uh, Amaruro and uh, Char, and they are Char's old, the the older, cynical, and Amaro's still shown as like the the young um, and impressionable and hot headed one. And like I do feel like there's a bit of there's a deliberate sort of mirroring of of what could have been like like an Amaro and Char meeting under different circumstances. Like, not as these prodigies f- forced to fight in war, but it's just two people, one on the edge of his teenage years, one just leaving them, and how they that massive shift in the way they define, as you were saying, the way Tomino defines masculinity, the difference between being a man and a boy, and how those two deal with it. I think it's definitely something which you see. I yeah, like especially towards the end when Bernie is trying to like be un- incognito and get off the station, he looks exactly like Char does when he's not in his like funny looking helmet. And I was working really hard to try and put the the connections together. And I don't think at this point had Char's counterattack I, come out uh... by the now because there had been th- like three full series of Gundam. Yes, it had it the year before. Okay. So yeah, like like Char's 
like arc had gone through like you know 150 episodes of anime and Charles Counterattack and so I if nothing else it is definitely just kind of like a visual cue of you know hey remember this guy you know this is how we tell you that this is a a guy to pay attention to but like beyond that like I honestly I I haven't watched Zeta Gundam I haven't watched ZZ Gundam and Charles Counterattack is the third thing that I bought <laughs> when I bought this and <laughs> so it's also sitting on my shelf waiting for me to watch it and at some point i will watch it but yeah like just to kind of hook your sympathies from the original series because i think there's there's they were probably aware that there is very little fan service for gundam 79 people insofar as the average thing that people like gundam 79 for it's definitely not like idyllic countryside with like brief glimpses of space and occasionally a robot comes in and does nothing and gets blown up in in 30 (laughs) seconds so yeah this really felt like what we get now where you know people who grew up watching Gundam want the like serious Mm grown-up version of that (laughs) you know it's like you know people going from you know the Adam West Batman to wanting something more like the Dark Knight Strikes Back or something like that, or the Dark Knight Returns, I guess was the, the, the original dark turn for, for Batman. And the, that, so, and you have, you know, you know, Gundams being treated as these like terrifying weapons of war and not action figures because, you know, they've, they don't, like you were saying, they show up very briefly and then they get blown up. Like you don't have the superhero Gundams in here. So like, you know, they're getting, you know, they're getting, they're getting strafed with, you know, funny looking Xeon pump gun, <laughs> uh, shotgun shells and just falling over and exploding and, or like, you know, wreckage hitting the colony and the, the power grid failing around it and yeah, stuff like, I like that, that moment. You, yeah. instead of, you know, where you have, yeah, that was great. <laughs> uh, but you know, whereas Gundam 79 very quickly descends into a hundred Zaku's on a horizon and Amaro sort of strafing them all yeah. and they all falling down like it's in a Rambo movie or something like that, where it's just pure power fantasy. Yeah, and it deliberately and thankfully doesn't uh, bring in the mainline concept of uh, new types, which are basically like a sort of a new sort of sub generation of humans with sort of extra sensory perception which is why they are such amazing pilots in and why uh, Amaro can destroy mm-hmm. those 50 Gundams these are these are not superhumans these are just humans and they're that's why they're all gonna die um and yeah although we we this is a low key one that does not mean that when it does decide to have its fights there is not a, a budget to spend there and that it is some mm-hmm. well, not some very handsome action scenes as you say like maybe the the thing which differentiates this from most gundam things is is that this is war generally fought on foot rather than flying like and so immediately things have more impact because as they're these huge things stomping through uh, cities or like there's this shot of one of the Zaku's just flying down the low along the street and just knocking cars out of its way as it goes and they're far more physical objects like I think that's that's the other thing which like the second generation of uh, mechs really did things like Eva as this sense of them as not just a design but as physical presences and I think like this definitely has that in a way that the original Gundam and Charles Counterattack don't necessarily do because they're not just these points in space flying around they're these things smashing through buildings and appearing out of clouds of smoke mm-hmm. 
like if you enjoy like just the kinetic violence of something like Eva, you'll still be able to go, "Wow, cool robot here." <laughs> yeah, yeah, like like I like I've said a million times, I'll say it again. The best episodes, in my opinion, of '79 are the first seven or eight, where the the Gundam is almost a non-factor. Everything is very small. Everything is very low key. And everything is very grounded, and that's my favorite part. And this captures that, but with a budget yeah. above a, a toy commercial. The the first battle with the the Cyclops squad attacking the Antarctic base. I love the the way the, like you know the Zaku's arms kind of like squid, mm, you know snake yeah. around like. There was no CG there. That was all people doing it the hard way. And there might have been some like rotoscoping to get the lines right. But the like the technical prowess of the animators in those battle scenes was really on display and very impressive. I loved those scenes, you know, and I a, a more action hungry fan might resent them being so short but the fact that they were so kinetic and so deadly and so technically well executed i i loved all the battle scenes in this in this series yeah i, th- I think you you're 100 right that they that the deadliness of the combat is another thing which which bears a lot of uh thinking about that that as you say like amaro's fighting 50 or 60 like how many episodes did you say there's 100 odd episodes and like oh well yeah there's like 40 something episodes of the first series and then there's two sequel series after that also about 40 or 50 episodes each what this this shows is like no one even if they're super powered makes it through that many fights and without getting killed like it's that accidental death is a part of the battlefield like even the incredibly well-trained person can completely misunderstand a situation and just leave himself completely open to attack and like that happens at mm-hmm. least a couple of times like the person we think has the upper hand immediately has their the table turned do mm-hmm. we want to move to the like more anime production aspects of this specifically like the the sound the the visual design i was watching the last episode a little earlier with sure. my with my girlfriend she's like oh i really like how this looks and it's just like it's so funny how mm. just like paint on paint on cells is just like people just recognize that as like the mm. good old the good old times. Um, I've also been watching uh, with my friend Katie. I've been watching through uh, Turn A Gundam again, which is why it's so so forefront on my mind. And that like anime will never look that good again. I know it's ridiculous for me to say that because I was 15 when it happened, and I'm 36, so so it's not ideal. But like, yeah, I just love. Even the the obvious corners have to be cut with just this level of technology and production. Uh, I do love when you have an OVA and you can lavish all this like care on on just different characters, on their expressions. I think that in general, that's like why the pacing, while eccentric, works so well for War of the Pocket. It's just because it's a it's a pretty show to look at, and it is like an idyllic uh, Japanese countryside or sometimes even American countryside that you occasionally get glimpses of the other side of the this is a barrel shaped uh space habitat with these like awesome like flower petal yeah. like metal reflectors reflecting the sun in on it and like sometimes you see that the sky is is just another countryside just like this one and it does like let let the uncanny mm-hmm. slip in and that's the sort of detail that you can afford to do yeah. when you're not desperately trying to churn out an episode every week uh in the in the late 70s and early 80s yeah i also i re- i really like the world building aspects of like how they just dis- how they just play like liminal 
areas of the station, you know, right on the edges when you're about to go into space where you have, you know, the, the gravity is very low if or non-existent. You know, you can pull yourself along with these little handles that go along the hallways. The, like Bernie stops at a bar on his way out and the drinks are all served in yeah, sippy cups. and. <laughs> Just just these, these little details that where, you know, you could you could tell that they're thinking about the fact that these people are in space outside. You know, you can you can quickly forget that you, they're on a space station. But like you were saying, you know, it'll show a horizon and it'll be another countryside in the in the sky. Like you could just see mm-hmm. the, you know, the lights, you know, through the, mm-hmm. the clouds and stuff like that. And yeah, like the, the, the uncanniness of being in space was really cool i really love that stuff like i've been watching the expanse uh which does you know similarly a very good job of giving you the sense of like what it's like to be in space all the time and you know the little considerations that they have to make to deal with gravity it's like oh we're going into a battle we better make sure everything is locked down you know similarly here you there's actually a very similar sentiment where you know being injured in space is the worst because you can't bleed yeah. properly. The blood just builds up and becomes this like, you know, impossible to deal with thing. And like, you know, if you're injured in your cockpit, it's like being in hell because your blood is just, you know, filling it up all around you. To echo Ben a bit here, this really was an extremely handsome show that proper golden age of cell animation stuff the telltale sign for me is when you see the underlighting where because that's just so so distinctive this it's something which is just lost it's this effect where they shone a light behind the cell and it would bleed through and so you'd get you'd get like this gradient around the light source and you can try and fake that but it doesn't work the same like and because there's no way of of doing that with digital animation it's just gone it's just something which does not exist and it looks so good they they have their own like uh judgment day uh nuclear nightmare and the flash of a CRT monitors glow that change into the flash of a nuclear blast. Like that's a really effective image, and it's just clearly got a lot of people who are just at the pinnacle of this particular craft. I think my fa- favorite scene of the whole thing, though, was at the very end where they're repairing the the Zaku and it's and it's raining, and the rain is just like these. It's just lines, and it's snaking down different parts of the Gundam's shape, and it's just, like, absolutely beautiful. And it's all drawn bit by bits, like, just incredible. I I could watch it for days. It's, It's hypnotic. And I think going back to shows like this is always a pleasure because of that. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Because those things are lost. We will will never have them again, because no one will ever pay to... To do, to do hand painted cells? Unless... No, not in a million years. Not unless it's a it's like a ridiculous indie love effort, work of love. Um, but like, no, the full the full. I don't think the craftsmen yeah. exist anymore, Ben. I like. I generally think it's no. They probably would. They probably wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Like the if you pull together all the senior management from all the, <laughs> the top studios in Japan, you could probably put together a team which could do cell animation. Yeah. But. <laughs> Everyone below them probably hasn't touched it because yeah. it hasn't really been a and thing. And we've been talking about the generational brain drain in a couple of their episodes before. And like, yeah, this this stuff is is unparalleled. The way that the bloom of, of underlighting works, um, the the just like meticulous detail, needless detail that would that would be automated away to computers 
or to just sort of general low grade stuff. And even just uh, the director, uh, uh, Fumihiko Takayama, um, hadn't done any Gundam before this, but he had directed all the episodes of Bubblegum Crisis. And so you really, hmm. I can kind of see in this, even though this is much more pastoral, much more like mid-century America vibes, there is like this kind of love of like rain-drenched neon and data displays when they're fixing the Gundam and like owls in the cockpit, like there is way more Chrome going on there for a kid reading off <laughs> a bunch of numbers from a screen than it has to be because it's just, there is this affection for the mechanical objects as animators, just as much as the characters have for them. And it's really neat to see that yeah. where like everything there was, was drawn and inked and painted um, to a degree that we just don't, don't think of mm. <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Um, there's this this one shot um, where the Gundam which the special forces have been building in secret as it steps up you sort of see it rising up and the, like the last shot of that little sequence is the pilot smiling and it's it's like audience and him are like mm, yes yes this is good good stuff <laughs> I I don't know it's I, I think the other thing is like I'm glad there were bits of animation which weren't just the robot fighting where you could tell that there were people with a great eye for an expression i think one of my like the discussion between the squad leader and his informant was which ben mentioned earlier was great i just love these two old men sitting on the bench just like world weary and and resigned to what's going to happen a rice rice smile at worse yeah bernie and uh, Chris is sort of romantic beginnings almost. Like, were surprisingly convincing. Like, mm -hmm. in terms of a, 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 the most doomed meet cute ever, like, that they, 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 they would have made a lovely couple. And yeah, one of them ends up vaporizing the other with a giant lightsaber. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and doesn't even know, though. <laughs> but yeah, it makes it worse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, after she vaporizes him, she finds Al and says, oh, if you see Bernie again, you know, I just, just tell him I said hi. <laughs> He's just looking at her like, oh, God, I've got a videotape about <laughs> him. I can't remember which one of you said. Al just being like, yeah, I'll, I'll tell him. And, and just like managing to just make somehow make his way through that conversation without completely breaking down. Al and Bernie in particular, like really well realized these characters in some ways, Bernie almost felt more innocent, felt innocent in a different way. There's no expect expectation for Al to know better. Like, we accept he has innocence, and yet Bernie knows all this stuff, and yet he's still, like, this light-hearted, smiling person. Like, somehow he's he has maintained his innocence despite being in the world of adults, which is a, str a strange thing for a character in a, a war series well he hasn't killed he hasn't shot down a gundam that's like one of his things yeah he, he admits these not nice and so there is a bit of kind of heavy and symbolism there if he hasn't killed he hasn't become these old men one of whom knows he's going to die on his mission one of whom knows that when his friend dies on his mission he's going to get nuked and both of them are just like yep do we want to talk about the op and ed they are they're they're kind of weird ones yeah i i got in 
I gotta admit, I found the <laughs> OP a bit jarring, a bit like it was just it was it was too sweet. It it, it, may, it may have explicitly been about how sweet someone is. Can't you see, Duncan? But nevertheless, it was just like so discordant. About halfway through the the, the show, you you will start to realise that this is going to end bad, and that sense of terrible inevitability is still soundtracked by this sickeningly sweet opening every time. And it's it, it I don't know, like that can't be an accident. No. I mean, it's no more accident than it, than it is that most of the images in the OP are just like these like childish scrawlings on the wall of just like the history of all war, <laughs> like from from spears and arrows up to like a giant Zaku just like destroying a city. And they're so crude that you can almost not see them. You can only see mm-hmm. them as child drawings, not as depictions of like death and suffering. And again, I think that's feeding into the point. I do find the OP music a bit cloying though. The ED is fine. It's just pictures of, of kids pretending to be adults yeah. who are, you know, warriors or are doing something else that shouldn't be within a child's realm of knowledge. I, I only watched the ED on the last episode when everything was in color and it looked like a bunch of sort of battlefield photography yeah. being done by like, you know, like life magazine or something like that, you know, uh, you know, in yeah. the, you know, the one year war and sort of, you know, borrowing that real world gravitas onto this sci-fi battle where you have you know, a bunch of soldiers running into the breach and in the background, you can see a big robot and then, and that kind of stuff I thought was was cool. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that this, that Gundam does really well. Yeah. But yeah, I, I I would after the first episode I kind of skipped the <laughs> the the OP, especially when you're trying to house it in yeah, well that's yeah. 24 hours. That's on you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, fair it's, it's fair, and I don't think I think this is definitely one of the, one of the shows where like I don't think that I think there are some anime. This might be controversial. Though, I think there are some anime where they expect you to watch the OP every time, and there's some where they assume that you will not watch the OP every time. <laughs> And this definitely felt like the latter. Like you get the point of the op- of of the op, and then the music is is pretty saccharine, is pretty pretty teeth crackingly <laughs> sweet. So you kind of don't want to go back to it again. Um, and then the ending, it just depends. I mean, I usually let it run because I was going to watch. I was trying to watch all of the the previews, which are fine. I mean, they kind of just like show you all the most like violent and traumatizing scenes of the next episode, so that you can enter with plenty of foreboding because. As we said at least a half dozen times, that's really what they're trying to do uh, with with the uh, the mood that you have while watching this. Just knowing this kid who is just way too into guns, fucking around. You're like, it's not even if there wasn't a strike team there, like it would turn out bad eventually. At the very least, when he turns like 16 and buys his first gun or whatever it is, and in, in uh, <laughs> I made the other the other non-Americans <laughs> real a little bit. Yeah. I thought the the VAs was there were no over the top performances like no one was steam stealing something I enjoy in anime are uh, 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 scene stealing side characters like just we've had an episode about best girls and mm-hmm. they are very rarely quiet they 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 very, it is very rarely uh, an understated uh, uh, voice performance but here everyone kind of just knew what they had to sell and did it like it felt very natural for that it didn't feel with all these plot threads being the coincidences that that 
it took for this to to do it could could have felt very forced and very contrived and yet it felt very natural to to me yeah no no i i agree and i i was shocked when i when i was like looking through the cast list that like yeah megumi hashibara is chris like i didn't i didn't notice that <laughs> um which is just a credit to she's famous for a reason because she doesn't have to be doing Ray or Lena in every single role that she has. Um, but yeah, it generally was just kind of like everyone turning in fine performances. I don't think anyone, anyone busted out any stinkers, even the, the ridiculous Zeon military hierarchy that was briefly featured in two separate episodes. Are we coming to the end of our war? I then? think we are. I think we're ready to put this war in our pocket. Does anyone have any last comments? No. Anything that they forgot to to bring up? <laughs> <clears throat> I like them telling telling Misha not to drink that much, and then like he's drinking in every single time he's in the <laughs> like. That's a good. Com- that's a good commander. He knows. He knows his soldiers. He knows that Misha's going to be taking pulls of that flask the entire battle. So you better deploy him. And then the flask even becomes a metaphor for for Misha. So when when he finally gets shot up, we don't see him getting shot. We just see the flask torn to pieces. And and we once we know that the flask's destroyed, we know Misha's yeah. gone as well. And I and I do like that. Like, I think we we talked on this briefly, but I do like that when in a lot of Gundam, when people when like bullets pierce the robot, like it's just superficial damage or it like knocks off a hydraulic hose. But like, if anyone gets shot if any robot gets shot in the chest and war in the pocket, it's, it's drawing blood from the pilots because they're inside there. So it is again, a much more grounded, visceral, realistic take on that. Um, and they don't even need to do like, they start out with like Misha having, mm-hmm. having this like object as metonymy for his own, for his own death. But like Chris and Bernie both get really bloodied in their fight, but that's the point. It's the emotional climax, or at least it's the action climax of, of the, of the OVA. The the last thing I would would say is that someone, like I mentioned it briefly, but like someone on staff definitely had a thing for mirroring um, actions. Like from the very start, where at the end of the mission, where there's uh, Andy is being cradled in his uh, officer's arms, and his his mech's being cradled in the other mech's <laughs> arms, to then there's like uh, this. The, the moment we, I spoke about before of like the 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 teachers and these these different authority figures dressing different people down and like there's this shot shot of this the Zaku, one of the Zaku shooting through a street running along and then it cuts to a shot a, a soldier running from a corridor and it's exactly the same head-on sh- shot and throughout it there was there was like a good dozen or so moments which I I, I don't want to catalog but it was like they weren't necessarily always obvious, but I, and I don't know if they were trying to just make a, any particular point with it, but it it felt like a motif someone really liked and and was determined to get the best use out of. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like during the, the Chris and Bernie fighting, their their wounds mirror their. Uh, robots wounds but it's not like a thing yeah. where it's like oh we're connected cybernetically so if you hurt my arm it hurts you know it hurts my arm in real life it's just like oh some shrapnel hit Chris in the arm after Bernie chopped the Gundam's arm uh, off with his blade, leg or isn't it right heat, heat axe I, th- I think it was the heat hawk I think heat was hawk. the <laughs> oh yeah I liked the Uh-oh. I liked speaking of yeah. backlight I liked the effect of it getting hot and getting this like orange this like again diffuse orange glow 
Mm-hmm. Maybe I need to watch more like late mm. '80s, early '90s anime. I really enjoy just. I, I have to watch good late '80s, early '90s anime. I think it's <laughs> message. Yeah. That's, the, that's the trick. That's the, th- that's the thing. Yeah, that's uh, the challenge. And that's easier said than done. Mm-hmm. And I'm not. I mean, looking on, uh, I believe that the director went on to do the like Black Sheep third uh, Pat Labor movie. Yep, in 2002, W thirteen Pat Labor the movie three, which is largely about two undercover cops trying to like figure out a like infiltration while like the pat labor people are doing stuff in the background so i do think maybe his thing at least for giant robots is to be like here's other people who happen to live in the giant robots world and are affected by the giant robots but are not themselves giant robot pilots or mechanics it's a very niche <laughs> niche thing but he's obviously owning it yeah and he's only got nine credits that's crazy uh, he he did rat he did a bunch of uh he was did some of the writing on Rasafon. And I think he might have done storyboards for like a bunch of stuff later on. He's definitely had a peak of his career and has kind of wound, wound it down doing like scripts for Tetsuan Birdie or uh, Sweet Blue Flowers or even Space Dandy for one episode. Yeah, yeah he did a bunch of bubblegum crisis too. Yeah, well, that was what, I think that's probably what got him this job, honestly, because <laughs> it, it leads right up to it. Um, and I, I do <laughs> think I see a similar tendency of directing because I do think bubblegum crisis has to balance like working girls during the day with uh, highly mechanized crime fighters, robot crime fighters at night. <sighs> yeah. Oh, and one last one... thing. I okay. really enjoyed uh, any interaction with the police. They were either totally condescending or totally <laughs> incompetent. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's like the one guy who like got let in there and like almost solved it if, if Al hadn't blown up his spot. But yeah, otherwise yeah. pretty useless. <laughs> well, he 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 didn't even so- solve it. He had to get rescued. He would have got shot by the the Zeons, and Al had to basically rescue yeah. him because he'd gone in without any backup and was going to get himself killed. So yeah, it's a very inc- ten out of ten on incompetent cops. <laughs> I mean, the security forces in general weren't very good when, uh, like they're just begging for help from the Federation, and then like the cops after the fight are like. So, huh, it's funny that you had a giant robot here, and she's like, y'all were, people were dying, and he's like, yeah, funny about that too, huh? It's just suspicious, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> suspicious Barton Fink style cops just being like, being like, so how are you responsible for what just happened? It's the easiest way to solve crime. Yeah, basically, find yeah. a patsy. Uh, I guess I'll leave us with one question. Do you think this will spur on any more Gundam watching or was, did you find this as self-contained as the person who originally recommended it to us claimed it was? I mean, I'm definitely going to probably start watching <laughs> turn a, the, the, the promise that I will continually break forever, but maybe this time I won't. I think it will give me an impetus to go and uh, catch up on a, uh, yeah, I think this is, this will probably make me uh, go watch uh, some legend of the galactic heroes. Yeah, I I do think that Legend of Galactic Heroes from an earlier point recognizes that the home front is what makes the battles exciting. Um, and I, I'm sure it got to learn that lesson by watching Gundam and Ideon and other contemporary shows learn it with them. Um, in addition to being written by novels, which are obviously going to have more plot lines than, than an anime will under most circumstances. But I... I, I've always been glad that I watched Legend of Galactic Heroes because I do think it is the better thing of what Gundam's generally reaching for. Um, but there's only so much of it, even though they're remaking it, and even though the 
Even though the original show with its 110 episodes has a 48 episode spinoff OVA, if you just want to keep watching some some fucking Legend of Galactic Heroes. That's cool. Yeah, this made me really want to watch Gundam 79. I think I should fight against that <laughs> urge and try to watch something better. <laughs> I would still say watch watch the the free compilation movies. Yeah, like watch the actual series, like for the first six episodes or so, and then switch to the compilation movies. I don't know if I can do that. I think that might be breaking my rules. But I appreciate the <laughs> I appreciate the advice. <laughs> just watch the films, then it'll do. It'll do. Yeah. I mean, I'm just so I'm just so I'm so humiliated at what the the turn A Gundam films are like. They cut off all like the good, impactful character development. So I'm always worried about that happening with with uh, spinoffs and compilation movies. Yeah, I think I, I want to get around to watching Gundam Hathaway at some point just because it looks very pretty and like the Gundam Origin and Gundam Hathaway are both kind of. They are animated as close as they can get to the old style. Mm-hmm. And so, though they still can't quite get there, they do have, like, impeccable production and do look marvellous. And they have the same feel of character design. Mm-hmm. So I think I've been meaning to to get back and watch Hathaway. Although Gundam Origins was, like... I think that's maybe the closest thing to... The War in the Pocket, which has been done in the last few years. The initial things is set on the Xeon homeworld before the revolution, which uh, brings the Zabbies to power. And a lot of it's like the civilian, the the line between civilian and paramilitary and all these these things. And I think maybe you'd enjoy uh, Gundam Origin because it's a very incredibly handsome show and it's more grounded in a place and less in space yeah space is not always the place not the place <laughs> yeah i mean there's a lot of stuff i want to there's just so much to, to go into and if you try to watch it chronologically you're just gonna burn yourself out on gundam um but who knows who knows it, it certainly given this reacquaintance with the gundam house style um and how shows try to emulate it to try to keep the same sort of feel of the same universe it does mean that I do have an embarrassment of choices if I ever want to watch more Gundam, which I will someday, and maybe it won't be Reconquista in G, which is what I keep getting tempted to as the quote-unquote sequel of Turn A Gundam. Just don't watch Wing, because it's just all the worst parts of Gundam <laughs> without any of the good stuff. Or Build Fighters, or any of the other like more overtly toy manufacturing ones. Yeah, the Wild <clears throat> Cool Robot spinoffs. Right, right. For that certain fan. Anyway... Rate, review, subscribe to us on the podcast platform of your choice. Find us on Facebook, search for Keyframes Podcast. Find us on Twitter at Keyframes Pod. Email us questions. Tell us what tween you'd like us to do next, next time we do a tween at keyframespodcast at gmail.com. Tune in next time. We'll be talking about a best anime where people definitely fuck, but are not about people fucking. Uh, interpret that as you will. Duncan's chuckling, so... And most of all, tell a friend. Tell your friend who came back from from the war and she's grown up now and she's got some weird business going, but who knows? She used to be your babysitter. Yeah, tell a friend. Just do it. (laughs) Tell that redhead girl who uh, you bumped into that uh, you you are actually a a fighter pilot because she'll reveal that she is too. And then you both won't have to kill each other. Yes, yes. (laughs) That'll be a good end. Or she'll throw you in jail, which also may be an outcome of telling people about our podcast. Still better. Well, I mean, there's a whole show about whether that's better, Duncan. So 
So go back and listen to the podcast again. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. You did my joke, but better. So you should just cut mine and have it yours. It be yours, Duncan. <laughs>